coming off a huge win in Detroit for their first game of the season and still in first place in the National League West. I'm Schmitty. And this is Talking Schmidt. Today on the show, we got Dan Pencil, kids. I got to tell you something. One of the best dudes out. Thinking about Dan, I remember the a lot of drunk nights hitting bars. Hello, my friend! Singing Pocket Full of Celery. Imagine what she's telling me. Pocket Full of Celery. Imagine what she's telling me. Getting crazy in the SFC. Anyway, it's been like 10 years or something since I talked to him, you know, outside of texting. He's one of those guys that I don't have to talk to for a while and I can just jump right into a conversation like it was yesterday. Love you, Danny. Hope you all enjoy this as much as I did. First, though, I did the recording with Dan like a week or so ago, and then I noticed, as I do, yesterday was 9-11, being two days ago when you get this. Anyhow, with 9-11 lining up kind of right around, I figured me and Dan got the kind of relationship that I do. I was going to just hit him back and say, Maybe we could, uh, you know, talk a little bit about his perspective on that day. 20 years. Oh, man, yesterday was heavy. Um, anyway, without getting too heavy, I'm going to check in with Dan real quick. We're going to talk some 9-11 and then we'll get into uh, the full interview. Hey, while we're waiting for Dan, because, uh, you know, he, he he's a busy dad. He's probably feeding the kids and whatnot. I... Uh, just saw this movie last night with my wife and it's called Coda C O D A. I recommend it. It had her crying and it had me up past my bedtime. I didn't fall asleep. So that's always a good sign, but we're claiming Oscar nomination for sure. Maybe winner winner.com, but it was cool. It was like a whole family of people that are deaf except for the daughter and then her struggle with all that. And uh, it ends up cool. So kind of good ending, good story, great performances, good writing. Check it out if you got a chance. Coda, you heard it here first. I'm not claiming. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I appreciate you. And if you want to buy some merch, talkingschmidt.com is the place to support me and the podcast. Check in. Check it out. Buy a tea. Thank you. Tickety-tack. Okay, so I think you I think we got him. I think we got Mr. Pencil. Hold on. Here we go. What's up, player? Well, you know, I'm just keeping it red and gold, dog. One and out. We're undefeated. Bang bang nine again. <laughs> of course. I wouldn't expect anything less. Feels good to be in first. Oh man. Well, um, I wanted to see, I was thinking about it yesterday and I was like, holy shit. Like, uh, it's kind of hard for me cause I live in San Francisco and I, I wasn't really connected to all of it that was going down. But every year I see like a lot of my friends that are impacted and stuff. And, and then I was thinking like, Whoa, it's crazy. Like super coincidental that the interview you and I did, is going to come out Tuesday. And I was like, huh, I wonder if Dan has like a little perspective of uh, w- what you kind of witnessed or how it went down for you 20 years ago. Yeah, no, it was, uh, 
Yeah. Were, were you in New York? I was in New York. I was actually living with Damian Rodriguez and Susie House at the time. I don't remember how I found out about it, but I think I just went down to the bodega that I lived above to get breakfast. And they're like, holy shit, a plane just flew into the towers. I was like, what? So I climbed up on my roof. I could see it perfectly. And I just sat up there and pretty much watched it all day. Like, like, no cell phone service, couldn't get a hold of anybody. Like, luckily, as soon as the first one hit, oh, that's how my mom called me and was like, hey, I just wanted to check that you're all right. I was like, yeah, everything's fine. And, she, and climbed up on the roof, checked it out. And then it was like, nobody could get a hold of me. Like, Susie actually had a phone from her mom that was a Chicago number. Uh huh how she was able to reach out and let people know that she was all right and shit. It was insane. Just watching the towers collapse and just the smell like, right. And it was like for weeks, it, the ashes were like, it was just smoldering and it looked like it was snowing in the middle of September, just chunks of soot, like, it was crazy. And seeing tanks driving down Sixth Avenue and around all the courthouses and shit, they put dumpsters with bricks and like cinder blocks and shit in case any car bombs. Like, oh, it was right. so heavy. Like, riding the subway weeks after, like, you get in and there were just military fatigues and machine guns like everywhere. It seemed like you were trapped in like a trapped in like a horror movie that you couldn't get out of. They didn't close the subways down for a while or they, they did for a, for a couple days. Like it wasn't, it wasn't long that they were shut down. Uh. And once it, once they opened up again, it was so gnarly. It was weeks that you could hear a pin drop in the subways. Like nobody's talking. If you just rat randomly look across and make eye contact with somebody, people just start bawling. Like it was so surreal and heavy. Jesus. I, I totally forgot about it. Susie was like, do you remember that when we were go anytime that you would try to get into the city months after, like if you took a cab, they would, they would pop the trunk to make sure there were no explosives in the cab. Oh, like, really? It was so freaking unreal. I could see Like I lived right at the base of the Williamsburg bridge. Uh huh. I could just from my roof, I could see, I could smell, I could feel. I didn't know anybody that was in it and it fucked me up that much. My wife, she lost, she lost one of her close friends back then. So every year it's just super heavy for her. And I'm just like, dude, I was fucked up from it. And I'm just like a bystander. I yeah. mean, lived in New York. So I feel like I was involved in it for sure. Like, the people that were like truly affected, like personally, like I, I couldn't even imagine that. Yeah, just the fear that it put over everybody. I mean, like to just get on an airplane after that for the first time, even me being in San Francisco was like 
sketch. I mean, all the shit that TSA like evolved from it, like all this stuff that like wasn't even around before this. And you're just like, you can't bring the liquids, all that stuff. But like more the fear in your head of like, could it happen again? Right. And like, where, where's next? And that's what I was reflecting with Cheryl last night was like, you know, trying to have some positive spin on it was uh, in 20 years, it hasn't happened again. And when it did happen in the present, in that moment, we thought it was going to happen again. Like that's what all the security came in for because it was like, fuck, is this like, what the hell's going on? So, but yeah, it was just, it's insane. Cheryl actually was in New York and she was supposed to fly home that day and she postponed her flight. So, and she went down there the next day to um, make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for like the first responders and shit. So she's like, she's kind of got like a little PTSD from it. Just like all the, like you said, the smells and just all the crazy people screaming. Like she said, one of the things was people were walking around, like putting up almost like wanted signs of their like brother or their father. There's just pictures of, have you seen this guy? Dude. So Allie just posted last night, the one of her friend. Fuck. Like she still has the actual flyer that she was trying to find him. Yeah. As soon as it, it never got felt normal again, but as soon as it calmed down, I was like, thank God that shit's over. I cannot believe that shit happened in New York, anywhere in America, let alone New York Mm -hmm. would never see it again. And Mm -hmm. then a year and a half ago, we have the president turning military on pedestrians and it seriously it made me think of 9-11 because that was the last time i saw military in the streets of the city you know what i mean oh yeah but at least hopefully with the 20th anniversary it'll make people remember how united we were after that terrible event instead of what just happened in january you know what i mean that was one of the things that came up last night too was after this had happened, the country felt so united for the first time, like in our lifetime, it was like people were actually putting American flag stickers on their car. And like, there was just like this kind of unification where right now, Cheryl even brought this up. She's like, think how divided it is now where Joe Brooke at one moment was scared to drive his van because it had the flag on it. Yeah. Like that's, that's where we've come. It's like, fuck. You look back at like some gnarly thing that actually was fucking gnarly. And, and, and that maybe helps you kind of like walk over some of the trivial stuff. That's not as, you know, the day to day stuff. like wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad that it took something that gnarly to make us bond together and then that it wore away and then everything is so politicized right now. Like this virus could have been handled so much differently if wearing a mask wasn't a political statement. Mm. Oh, fucking pussy must've voted for Biden. It's like, no, I just care about like, I don't, it doesn't matter who I care, like who I voted for. I just don't want my fucking parents to get sick. 
Like, it's that simple. I, I mean, yeah, I got vaccinated, but I still like to shoot guns. Like, right. We're all in this together. Like, yeah. Just it's bullshit. But I don't know. I don't really try to talk too much politics because I, I, like you said, it's like, yeah, I like to shoot guns and I like to be healthy. Like, it's like, you know what I yeah. mean? And, and I'll go fucking kick it with Wade Spire and listen to him talk shit on San Francisco all day long. Like, I don't care. Like, I just like to have a good time. But uh, this thing, it, you know, it definitely impacted Cheryl a lot. And, and she's my wife. And, I, you know, I got sneaky. I, I got some friends that, you know, yourself included. And then but I just never really have had that talk about like, dude, what was it like? Because for me, I, I went to Thrasher like any other day. I remember it was like probably eight oh five. I walked in the door and Mark Whiteley was watching the TV crying. And I was like, what's going on? And like it took literally six hours for me to realize that this really happened like i was just kind of like what huh like huh you know and that's looking at tv i can't even imagine like seeing tobin's photos fucking jason dill like that photo of dill is insane dude susie (laughs) susie was like yeah i just remember she was a teacher well she is a teacher but she had to like she volunteered to stay with the kids until their parents came to pick them up. And she was there until seven o'clock at night because people had to walk from Manhattan to the school from like all the bridges were shut down. So she had to wait until the teachers came home or the the parents came to pick their kids up. So she didn't get home until like seven o'clock and she got home and I'm just sitting up on the roof, like, drinking some beer and was she's like i don't know what you were doing but you were scraping paint off the skylight and i was like what are you doing and you, i had no explanation she just was like i could, all i could think of is that your brain was so fucked up that you needed to keep busy and like you didn't know what to do so you were scraping paint off of 50 year old <laughs> with smoldering buildings in the background when i walked up like Fuck. It, like it was gnarly man i remember my mom thinking that she like she was doing something super sweet she bought like a couple years later like a superman comic came out about 9-11 or whatever mm. and she for me for christmas or whatever and i couldn't even open it like to this day i still have it somewhere and i've never even looked through it because like it still fucks me up. Yeah. It's like, that was, that was my favorite era of living in New York, like living with Damien and Susie and skating to Sweetwater every day. I was skating with Patrick O'Dell and Pat Smith all the time. And Uh. my favorite era. And then a month and a half of that is just completely blank off my brain because it's like, I remember going skating downtown with Pat Smith and skating like, the Brooklyn, like BAM, the Brooklyn Academy of Music or whatever. There were those ledges and stuff. It's right across the court from the courthouse. And you see like just fucking Humvees driving around with fucking machine guns everywhere. Dude. 
Okay. Well, dude, I appreciate you sharing that with me. It's hard to talk about because I I know it's probably hard to talk about. So I didn't really know if it was like even appropriate or whatever. So I really appreciate it. And I I just, I know, you know, but I love you. So I know I love you too. And that's, this is honestly probably the most I've talked about it. Like Mm. Susie and Damien randomly, like from here or there, and we'll talk about just living there and, but this is a conversation that doesn't come up much. And I feel like it being the anniversary I had, I wanted to share it with people that weren't there because no people that weren't in New York, like I couldn't imagine just see like having lived it, just seeing something like that and not being like, it's just hard to put my brain around what mm. it's like for people in the middle of America, like never been to New York and seeing something and then them being so unified at the same time, they had no real attachment other than that. It was an attack on America. And it's like, dude, Andy Kessler picked me up two days before that at nine o'clock in the morning to go skate the Asbury pool. Oh, it's crazy. And I, I, every nine 11, I think about how crazy it could have been. Like if it was two days different, you know, and he never picked us up there, but he was like running errands or something. He's just like, Hey, I'll meet you. I'll meet you at world trade. We'll go skate the pool. And it was like, nine Oh five or something like that. It was just, Oh like, dude. I don't know. I mean, that was the closest feeling to like, we're under war that we've had in our lifetime. But like yeah. you said, then there's like more recent with Portland and all that stuff. And just military in the street and all that stuff is fucking, it makes you feel like you're in Argentina or some other country. You're just like, I know what the fuck. It's a weird feeling. Thanks, dude. I just, I just wanted to kind of touch base on that. I feel like it was like kind of a little bit of an obligation since we had the opportunity and I think it, no. it, it could help other people having a little perspective to hear something like, you know, firsthand, what was going on and, and just the vibes and everything. And just also just paying tribute and also nothing but love and respect for like the people that it's affected even more so than we even know. I mean, to the people that were in the building, I mean, I I just, the horror stories are fucked up. Like I can't even watch like those documentaries and stuff. I'm just like, that's just like a gnarliest horror movie you could watch. It's like real. (sighs) Well, we still got more than half of September so we can, we can try to fucking, you know what is followed by September two is my birthday, October. So <laughs> October, we know this. Well, cool, dude. Um, thanks for uh, chiming in again. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, it was nice to actually. Sometimes it takes talking about stuff to actually put it at rest a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, you can only push stuff. Yeah, push stuff down. In every aspect, you know, everybody's got demons. Everybody's got their shit. The people that usually don't talk about anything are the ones that are hurting the most, you know? Yeah. I'm learning a lot about that, trying to just communicate it in the best way you can and kind of just work through it instead of holding it in and pretending it's not there. 
It's a lot easier to do when we're sober, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Life could have been a lot different, but then again, I might not have ever met you, man. Yeah, no, I don't have any regrets. I'm glad I did what I did. And I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. It's just all part of the fucking journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, for sure, I made a lot of mistakes and I still am claiming I'm not claiming sobriety is getting more trendier because of Instagram. People are scared to get as drunk as we used to now that they can be on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> even imagine yeah i mean holy shit dude all of a sudden you wake up with those moral hangovers but not only that you're viral <laughs> like no thanks right Fuck. remember when you threw about- that bottle at that guy no we'll check it out it's all over fucking youtube and instagram <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can't believe you were trying to make out with her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that's so and so's girl. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hold on, let me pull it up. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fuck. That's Sorry, so, dude. That's a, that's a place where I, I can't. I don't think my stress levels could handle that. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. Um, big love to the fam. All right, Schmitty. Send my love to the missus. Oh uh, yeah, you too. Take care. All right, buddy. Bye. Hi there, interworld of webs, cast, podding. This is Cranny. You're listening to Schmidt Talk. Talking Schmidt. Talk some Schmidt. Put it in your ear hole. Find out about your world. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Shred, Montana Skate Park Association. We've got good things going on up here. Board of Missoula on the hip strip, 618 South Higgins. Come check us out. Thanks for talking, Schmidt. All right, let's see. What's good? How we doing out there? What's the good, everybody? This is Schmitty. We're back with Talking Schmidt, the podcast that just keeps going. And we come out every Tuesday in case you're new to the program. Um, today on the show, let me just show you this filter shirt that I got. I'm pretty hyped on. Today on the uh, program, we got my good friend, Daniel Pencil. Yep. I'm going to catch up with Dan and uh, talk to him about what the fuck is going on, dude, because it's been like, what, five years or more. Anyway, my voice is a little different today because I got a <clears throat> I went to Guns N' Roses last night. Let's just put it that way, huh, kids? All right. So anyway, uh, here he is. Damn pencil. What's up, brother? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How you doing, man? Dude, are you on the porch? Yeah. All right. Where, where's uh where are we at? Are we in Allentown? No, we're we're like West Grove, Pennsylvania. It's kind of down by Westchester, Wilmington, Delaware, Delaware area. Oh shit. How long have you been there? Uh going on three years. So you don't got the neighbor with no fence in a swimming pool anymore? 
<laughs> no, no, not anymore. How's it going? It's good, man. How you doing? Dude, I'm 10 days of uh, marital status right now. I know. Congratulations, man. It looked beautiful. It was, yeah, it was super beautiful. It was great. It was, everything's been like, there's so much other shit to complain about in the world. So I'm not going to lie and say, you know, there's nothing wrong going on, but like with what we got going, it's pretty fucking cool. Good to hear, man. Yeah. How about y'all? We're good, man. Just uh, making it through these crazy times, you know, the kids um, in school. Uh, they don't start for another about 10 days. But are they going to go to school or they're going to do it like on the computer? No, they're they're going to go in. And as of right now, we don't know if they're forcing masks, but my kids are wearing them. Me and Salva went to fucking uh, Guns N' Roses last night. Dude, how was that? It was fun, dude. Greg's fucking awesome. And I, me, Cheryl and uh, and Greg went and uh, we had really like we got hooked up with tickets so we had really good seats and it was just it was like the i mean obviously we had the wedding but other than that like i don't remember the last time i saw live music that's for sure so it felt like really good you know like it i mean we were wearing masks yeah it wasn't a hundred percent normal because you're kind of tripping because it's indoors and and so but like once they start playing and you kind of just get into you're like, fuck, this, this is what I've been missing. <laughs> Dude, I think live music is one of the gnarliest things that I've been missing because I've gone to baseball games. I've, I've done some sporting events, but like I have not seen a live band in so long. And like that's so important for like my DNA. You know, it's like, yeah, fuck. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you had the park side right down the street from you for how long? Yeah, exactly. Well, I just moved like um, a seven minute skate from there. So Congrats. I'm pretty I'm, I still can go to the park side if I want. <laughs> <laughs> just drinking O'Doul's and, and seltzer waters. Instead, yeah, right? no, I haven't even drank like N.A.'s at all. Like, I feel like if I drink N.A.'s, I don't know how you feel, but like it just it just makes me feel like I'm missing like you're drinking beer in your head you're like okay i'm drinking beer but then you're like this ain't beer if yeah. i just drink like something else then i'm like i'm not drinking you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but if i pretend like i'm drinking then i just want to drink yeah Th- that's how no, I, that's I how i go any of that since i quit quit but anytime i would try a hiatus before i actually quit i'd i'd do the I'd have like one O'Doul's and then I'd have sunflower seeds and just spit oh. sunflowers because you're at the bar. You, if you have a beer in your hand, that's like the comfort feeling is just having that in your hand because that's what you're so used to. So I used, oh. I did the sunflower seeds. Sunflower seeds is like the best uh, road uh, snack. Like we would just fill up the cups with all the seeds and you'd have like so many trophies. <laughs> yeah. So I want to see if you want to do a little interview for like uh, the podcast and talk about some of the the early days and all the way up to the present, maybe. Yeah, man. I'd love that. Okay. Um, What we do is we get you to just introduce like, hey, this is Dan Pencil and you're listening to Talking Schmidt and then we can go from there. All right. Is it too loud right here? No, it's actually great. I can't hear anything but you. 
stuff like hissing huh? in the background. I didn't know if oh. you could hear it. There's like a hyena back there. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the bugs going. Mm. No, it's fine. Jeremy Ray had his dog barking the whole time. I'm sure I'll have dogs and probably two little girls at some point running okay. out. Okay, show and tell. <laughs> just, if they come out, just send them, go go get my third skateboard graphic. It'll be like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so just this damn pencil and we're talking Schmidt. Yeah. Give me one second. Let me go grab a drink real quick. They don't have one of those fancy coffee mugs like you got there, bro. Oh, I'll, I'll send you one. <laughs> Head on down to your local shop. Ask Nordwizard Skateboards. Or visit Nordwizard.com. For all your pondering needs. Tickety-tack. This is Dan Pencil, and we're talking Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cause turn. Oh, big dogs in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I can <laughs> shit my pants. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's right. about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? He thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? I'm here for Greg Swift. The deal is I've been going back east to some fucking friends of mine. You might have seen Fred Gall. You might have heard the package. And today we are in Pennsylvania with Dan Pencil. What's up, Dan? How are you? Good to when see was you. The, when was the last time we talked? Uh, I know I texted you about your wife's Yeah, arm, but I mean, when was the last time we hung out, I should say? Oh, God. It's got to be. Over 12 years, probably. Yeah. Was it in New York at the fucking Vans place? Was that maybe it? I was trying to remember. Yeah, I think that, that must and, have been and, it. And, and that was a long time ago. Either, either that or my last trip to SF, and that was probably 14, 15, probably 14 years ago. Okay. Fuck. How, how's things going? You're, you're in a new part of Pennsylvania, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'm... About an hour and a half south of where I was born. So, where were you born? I was born right outside of out. Well, in Allentown, but I grew up in Catasauqua, which is a small town right there. Is that where we played the um, skate rock in that indoor? Yes. In, in Allentown, yeah, that was uh, that little sweaty mini yeah, ramp. Yeah, that was sick. That was where uh, Trixie beat um, Spanky in an arm wrestle. Is that, is that real? <laughs> That's awesome. I was bummed I missed that one, man. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, we had Seber the day before in Philly, and then we hit Allentown on our way to New York. Yeah, yeah. I remember that very well. Uh, so what was uh, what was it like growing up out there in Allentown? Like, when did you find skateboarding? How did you how did that all happen for you? Um, I was. Between fourth and fifth grade, we moved houses. Yeah. So my the mailman, the the kid, not the mailman, but the new newspaper delivery kid, uh-huh. he was a skater who was in high school at the time. And he would skate down the street and deliver the mail or the newspapers. And I was like, cool. And then I started talking to him and he let me borrow his board once. And I was like, this is fun. So 
for Christmas, I asked for one and I got a bright green Nash executioner and my dad's like, here, let me show you how to do it. And he <laughs> stood on it. We lived like, there's only two traffic lights in the town that I grew up in. And we lived like one block down from one of them, like on one of the main streets, but there was an alley right next to it. And he stood on it and he tried to push and he just fell right on his ass and the board shot across the street, like all of caused an accident. And then he was like, uh, all right, never mind. But that, that dude and the mail, the newspaper delivery guy actually sold me my first skateboard, which was a Lance Mountain the oh, silver caveman one. Like he oh. sold me his used board when he got a new one. So that's kind of. That executioner scene, I think like that's a pretty common first board for a lot of people of like our friends or like that era. It was like that was kind of the one. It was a complete probably, huh? Yeah, but the XR2 trucks or whatever, the two-toned <laughs> two wheels. I think Collinson maybe even has it up on his uh, in his garage or something. I don't know. That sounds familiar. So were you like when you started rolling around, were, was it just kind of like, I mean, what was the vibe on it at first? Were you like, this is hard? Or were you just like, I love everything about this? And you were just trying to do it more or like, did it, how, how did you end up like skating? Was it kind of uh, acclimated or was it just obsessed? No, it was, it was an obsession. It, it did not come naturally, just like kind of my whole entire skate career. No, <laughs> nothing ever came natural. I've worked for almost everything. So <laughs> But even just growing up, it's like everybody was picking tricks up. And it's like, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't struggle. Like I had the concept. It's just like when the whole people were skating switch before I could nollie. And it was just like, and when I say people, I mean, there were six skaters in the valley that I lived in. It's like, oh. there was not a lot of, I think there were three skaters in my school like in my middle school and then there were like five or six in the high school i have two eighth grade diplomas and were you guys all friends or was there animosity no it was kind of traditional back in the late 80s early 90s it's like there were the high school kids that were they'd skate this kid jeff's mini ramp and we lived two blocks away but we weren't allowed to skate it we could watch and then if nobody was skating we could pump around it was kind of that mentality but in the beginning, when you were skating, living back east, were you like putting the board in the closet for the winter or were you searching out underground? Like, what, what's it like with snow? I've never lived in snow. <laughs> <laughs> um, my parents were rad. We had a two car garage that was detached and my dad let me build a mini ramp in, in half of it. So I had a six foot wide, two no and a half way. foot tall mini ramp that it wasn't even full transition. It was like a <laughs> foot and a half of transition to mellow banks. Uh -huh. And the coping was like cut into it. And it was like, it was more like skating a, a two flat banks next to each other, but it's where it's where we survived in the winters. Okay. Fuck. That's cool. So your did your dad build it with like um, templates or did he build it with two by fours? <laughs> no, it was, it was templates. He, Okay. He was a construction worker, so he just oh. he cut the templates and like before the mini ramp, he we made a quarter pipe and he was we just saw it in magazines. We didn't know any better, so we made templates. And he was just like, "All right, well, it's supposed to be half of a pipe, so 
I'll just put a string on it and we'll just go. It's a four foot transition. Right. So just a perfect burnt ramp on a four oh, foot. Oh, yeah. Ramp. So he knew, <laughs> he was, knew way more. Like we did two by four trannies our first rail. We had no idea. <laughs> like, cha 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 cha. Like, so <laughs> fucked. That sounds fun now, though. Were, were people drawn to you in the winter? Like, oh, Dan's our bro. It's like having a swimming pool when you live in a hot place. <laughs> no, literally, there were only three skaters in my town. <sighs> and then this one kid lived across the bridge. It was like a metal bridge that he would skate across over every day after school to my house. Like he was in a different town. So he went to a different school. Mm. But it was just me, one or two other skaters from my town and this dude. And that, that was kind of our posse for four or five years. Was Were you already in tune with like magazines or videos at that time or not yet? Well, there was one skate shop. Well, there were technically there were two. Like one was like 20 minutes away, but one was right down the street called Music Madness. No. And this place had like records and skateboards. So it was like, it was awesome. That's where you got your odd man out seven and like, or tape while you're picking out grip tape. Like it was just awesome. So okay. that place was around. So every once in a while people would hear, Oh, this kid's got a mini ramp. And I lived across the street from a playground. So uh-huh. it could be the middle of winter. And we just see somebody skating at the basketball court. We're like, Hey, come over here. It's warm. It's dry. Like, So there was a little bit of that, but it was just such a small town that, not many people came into it, you know? What was the first video that you remember, like, kind of, like, putting in the VHS and being, like, watching it repeatedly? Um, I remember going to Blockbuster Video and renting Sick Boys and yes, Band This. Then it was 1281, and this is not the new H3 video where, like, the two first VHS tapes that I bought from a skate shop. They had sick boys in, in blockbuster in Pennsylvania. Yeah. That honestly, that was so awesome to like, that was my introduction to Nottis. You know what I mean? Uh Like Mickey, Tommy, the city. It it was like San Francisco. Would have been easier just to not return it ever and just pay the $40. (laughs) I would have saved so much money. Oh man. We just watched a documentary about the last blockbuster. It's like in Bend, Oregon, there's still one left. It's so funny. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Okay. And then, so like, who were you gravitating to? Was Nottis your dude then? Like did, who were you gravitating to as like, pictures on the wall type dudes or like dudes that you wanted to see in person uh it was definitely like ed templeton was the big one that was Uh, like i had at least six of the movie theater boards you know oh yeah i had a lot of templeton and then jay and ken sigafoos grew up around me and they rode for small room small so i had a bunch of their photos and stuff from thrasher and their checkouts and stuff Uh, was there ever any demos or anything like cool like where people would come through your area or somewhere close enough that you could get to yeah yeah actually the other skate shop that i was talking about that was like 20 minutes away yeah they had a they would have demos they'd actually it was pretty awesome to once fibro got going and stuff do demos to where i used to go and watch people skate so that was cool but uh yeah they used to go and I remember there was like a life's a beach demo or something where they had a 
fiberglass clear mini or like mini vert ramp. Uh. It was thick. And then uh, right when World Industries started, they they showed up in a limo. That was pretty mind blowing. Going to skate the bank across the street from uh, where the demo was and just seeing Vallely to skate. So awesome. In person. So yeah. who, who was the first pro you saw in person? I'm guessing since it was a uh, life, the beach demo it was probably like probably Tex Gibson or something, uh, probably around that time. And then the world demos were, that was pretty much it. And then it would be like every two years they'd have somebody come through, but those were like the first two that I remember going to. And so how did you get hooked up? Did you start like getting into filming each other, like with your friends and putting together, did you end up having a sponsor me tape or any of that kind of stuff? Kind of, like we'd film a little bit, but there was a skate park called Hackettstown in New Jersey and about an hour from my house. But the way that Jersey is, their gas is always cheaper. So when you're in high school, anytime that somebody's gas tank would get down to about half a tank, we'd be like, hey, let's go to Jersey. We'll go to Hackettstown and go skate the park because the money we pay to get into the skate park is what we'll save in gas. So <laughs> we ended up going there for like two to three times a week. And then uh, that park is probably 40 minutes outside of the city. So that's where I met Steve Rodriguez and a bunch of the original, like the Fibro guys. So you met Steve in Jersey at that yeah, place. And, okay. Yeah. It's that place. It was like Tim O'Connor would go there every winter. Quinn, uh, uh. like all this, all the New York dudes. So yeah. I saw Steve there a handful of times. And first thing he said to me, I was trying to like kickflip the big pyramid or something. He's like, do that shit. You fucking pussy. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, I was like a 17 year old kid. Just like, who the fuck is this old barbarian dude screaming at me? <laughs> and then I landed it. And that's when he told like, fiber wasn't even a, like going on at that time. Like me and Ben wall were the first two riders for fiber. Yeah. No way. Yeah, he told me he was starting a company and then it was probably about six or eight months and I didn't hear a word for from him. And back then, nobody had cell phones or anything. So I was like, oh, here's my parents' phone number. So I didn't hear from him for like six months after being so hyped up that somebody starting a board company wants me to ride for it. Mm. And then it was like nothing. And then random voicemails just, hey, there's an event called Shred for Mike. For Mike Cardona in New Jersey, come out and I, I got some t-shirts made. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some t-shirts. I was like, oh shit, maybe he is starting a company. <laughs> so we went and he ended up giving like me and a couple of guys, like two or three other guys, a bunch of fiber shirts and didn't even have boards yet, but that was like the launch of it. So, and you, you, did you say you were 17? I was 18 when they actually started. So 95 you and ben first two yeah damn so you fucking seen <laughs> and, it and, like, and we bust each other's chops because the company wasn't started yet so uh that's pretty sick and so you've seen the whole basically the whole fucking the birth and the growth and everything yeah. was it was it um what was your relationship with new york at the time like had you gone there as a kid and stuff or did you not go there till you started skating no i i actually i went there like obviously with school and stuff like oh to the then, museums or something yeah and then i went one time to skate me and my buddy took a bus in and skated around but i had already met steve at that point but before that i had 
no affiliation with that. I went to Philly maybe once or twice. It was, yeah, it was just, I'm starting this board company. And then once he got boards, I started going in and it was probably two and a half years of me going in almost every single weekend. And he was just like, dude, I could get you a job at my, uh, my uncle's pharmacy, which is where Fiber was based out of. They, they rented out the basement and that's where they, they kept all their uh, boards and everything. Oh shit. So that was my first job when he convinced me to move to the city. What's the stoke level like right there? Oh my God. Mind blown. I mean, I went from thinking I was going to grow up being a construction worker. I mean, not that far off right now in my life, but, <laughs> but uh, he just saw something in me and just took me under his wing, like come to the city. And I moved there a couple months later and that was it. I was in love with it. Oh, were you partying yet? No, it was, uh, well, I was partying by the time I moved in there. Uh-huh. But when I started taking the bus in and stuff, it was, uh, yeah, I was 18 when we started going in and then I actually hillbilly roadkill. My very first rasher footage is me shattering my leg in that video. No way. And yeah. Like I'm in that like, video. Really? Yeah. It's me, me in the, the back of, of my truck life. with the wig on. I'm like, <laughs> I'm the skit guy in there. Damn. He's dead. Oh, that's awesome. I <laughs> might have to watch that again. Just not my part. <laughs> but yeah, I shattered my leg trying to smith grind the rail that Quim ran down in uh, Eastern Exposure. Oh. Like, I got like all these plates in my leg. I couldn't skate for 16 months. So that was when I was 20. And then 22, I moved into the city. And you were there for, a, how long were you in the city for? Probably like, 12 to 14 years, 12 to 14 years. Fuck. Yeah. Oh man, that's pretty insane. So you came from like a pretty small town, like, and then you're just in the big city of New York and you're doing it. Is there a transition of like, like anxiety kind of like of like this huge city from coming from like where you came from or were you just so pumped that like you, you weren't even tripping on anything? I think, I think it was kind of, a transition because there was a good probably year and a half to two years that I didn't go into Manhattan. Uh, like for some reason it was like Pat Smith had just moved there and uh, stuff. And we would just skate Brooklyn and the Bronx. And we would just take the train to all these random stops. And it was like the blue collar guy stayed in Brooklyn and stuff. And then it was like all the other dudes kind of stayed in Manhattan and like, I don't know if they see it like Todd and those dudes, but it felt kind of just not segregated or set, but it was less of a community uh-huh. kind of feeling. Okay. I don't know. It was, it was weird. And maybe that was just me making it that in my head because I'm a small town boy and just like, didn't feel comfortable in Manhattan mm-hmm. or if it was, which I'm sure it was. I mean, everybody has their own little mental yeah bounces you know no nah, remember the first time i went there i was it was just so overwhelming i was just like holy fuck like it's just <laughs> like you can't there's building it was like even san francisco is not even close to that like that feeling where you're in like 
the thick of it and you're just like, fuck, there's people everywhere and the buildings are so tall. You can't even know which direction you're going. And it's, yeah. it's it took a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So was there any animosity from like New York or any of the new, other New York like established people as Fibro got more legitimate in the process or was it a camaraderie or like how was the vibes back for that stuff? I wouldn't say that there was like a vibe, but I don't think there was a stoke either. It was kind of like the only place that we'd really run into each other would be like at Max Fish or something. Yeah. But it's not like, it's not like I ever went skating with Harold or Vinny or anything, Mm. unfortunately, because that would have been absolutely awesome back then, you know? Yeah. It's like, we might see him at the banks and just kind of like skate the banks with them or something, but it was it was just kind of at that point, it was our fibro click and then other clicks. And, it, and it's not like the city is now where now everybody knows each other. Yeah. It's like back then, it's like you had your group of people and you might like bump into somebody. But now it's like because of all the skate parks and stuff, everybody goes down to the Lower East Side and now everybody's like, everybody's homies and back then it's like you might see somebody at the banks or like people would come up from philly and you would miss them and you'd hear like oh so-and-so was down the street like two hours ago and then you just don't see your friends because the city's so big and one person goes left the other person goes right you might catch them the following weekend you know yeah how does the team build who's who's next how does who comes on after you guys started going our original crew was Steve R is obviously the founder and genius behind all of it. Uh-huh. And then there was Ben Wall, Pat Gadotti from Jersey, um, this girl Perry, Neil Morgan from Long Island, Emmett Bennett from New Bedford. And then, uh, God, I feel like a dick. I know I'm forgetting people. Did I say Tato? Tato Feliciano. He no. just moved from Puerto Rico to uh, Connecticut. And uh, obviously Ben Wall. Okay. But uh, no, it was, it was a group that just... Steve Rodriguez has had this ability of finding the perfect personalities. Every person on Fiberro belonged on Fiberro, mm. at least for the first 10, 15 years. Hmm. Like we'd slow a kid, put him on for a little bit. We'd take him on a trip and just be like, sorry, dude, it's not right. You dick. Was there some of those where you were like, this guy's not going to work? Yeah. And it, it was nothing personal. And he told like they could totally rip, but you're just like, it's not just, the right it's, chemistry. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. And then there's fucking like took comes in and then <laughs> yeah. No, and even, even before that, it's like we had Mike Peterson Oh. He rode for us, like, and then before consolidated. Yeah, before consolidated and before Illuminati. Oh, yeah. So Peterson and then Susky, Wilkin, oh, yeah. everybody's favorite Westgate, Dom Pierre. Like we had a lot of pe- Shetler. Like we had a lot of people that spent some time in the van with us and moved so- on to. Yeah. So that's kind of what from like the West Coast perspective, I was always tripping on. So like when Westgate goes from like 
one New York company, Fiber to New York. And Susky, I think they probably went together almost, right? Well, they both they both left and went to Birdhouse. Oh, they went to Birdhouse before that. They went to uh, Birdhouse. Okay. So there may be because the old Fibero team manager went to Birdhouse and got Shetler, Susky, and Westgate to leave Fiberro. Oh. And then he left Birdhouse and went to Zoo York and took them with him. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We love we love Seamus. He's still one of the best dudes ever. But. Oh, that was Seamus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. I love Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. In one of the five borough videos, uh, it was right after it happened in the thanks list. I was just like, thanks, Seamus, for taking all my homies out of the van. Yeah, like that's what it seemed like from from my perspective was like, dude, that's pretty gnarly. Like that's like Oakland taking some San Francisco or something like it was like, you know, maybe some heat or something. Uh, What was when was your first time out west when you came like to California for the first time? Um, I was texting with Andreas because I'm terrible with dates, man. But it was. What year was the underscatement film festivals? Was that like 01, 02? Around there. I'm not that great with those dates either, but is that when you came out was for that? Well, I I went with Rick and Buddy to to Portland, mm-hmm. and this was my first time off the East Coast. So I went to Portland, ended up staying with Rick and Buddy out there. They went out for the big Halloween jam. To Burnside. And... I ended up meeting up with Zach Hudson and just piling out and <laughs> showing up to the airport to come home. And they're like, uh, your flight was yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I'm staying. So, so I was like, well, all right. And I talked to Andreas was, uh, out in San Francisco at the time. And he was like, He's like, hey, there's a film festival and you've never been out to California. Why don't you come out here? I was like, all right, why not? So I changed my flight. I got some stuff sent out to San Francisco and I ended up staying out there until Christmas. So it was like I was supposed to be gone for six days. I ended up being gone for two and a half months. Oh, shit. I remember when I met you, you were making a big deal about how... uh the East coast was so rough and the, and the West coast was so smooth and how easy we had everything. I, I still hold on to that one. Yeah. I heard that the other day when I was listening to Freddie's interview, <laughs> I might've been a little harsh back then. No, but it's true. I mean, the East coast is older, so it's, you know, it's more crusty and like the spots, like you can't deny like some of the spots or like the cobblestone or just whatever you're like, I remember my when Phil went back east for his first time, he skated with Reason and those dudes. And it was like, he came back and he's like, dude, all I know is however they're skating is how I want to skate. Like, all yeah. they do is push across town the whole night. Like, all they do is push. He's like, nobody stops pushing and they're going fast. And, and he's like, it's gnarly. And he was so stoked. And then, like, I saw these guys he was talking about and you're like, oh, shit. So yeah, it's like some zero video and stuff. Yeah, for sure. And the Eastern exposure, probably one or whatever, like when, when Barley and, uh, yeah. And Reese and all those guys, you're just like, 
Damn. I mean, it's cool that you said sick boys. Sick boys was the only thing that was available uh. at that point. But like once the once the Sub-Zero video came out and like mm. Eastern Exposure, that's all it was. was like, And even the early Fibro days, I would get off the bus on 42nd Street and just skate down to Steve Rodriguez's house, drop my bags off. And then we'd skate to the banks, which is a 25 minute skate from there. And it, that's all that's all it was was like eight or like seven and a half inch boards with like 56 58 millimeter wheels you know and now another first impression with steve rodriguez (laughs) so the first time i met dan pencil was at hackettstown skate park in new jersey it's like middle of the winter i uh see some kid there skating this insanely huge, terrible quarter pipe slash bank ramp, trying uh, blunt kick flips to fakie on it, just falling probably like eight feet minimum directly to his ass, trying it over and over and over again. Uh, and he never gave up, and that's what got me psyched on him. And I immediately said, hey, man, I'm starting this company called Fibro. Uh, I don't even know if I told him the name, but I told him I'm starting a company uh, and I'd love you to be one of the first riders. And he just kind of smiled, did that weird pencil laugh, and the rest is history. Peace. Did you have like a um, a routine? Like, did you have like your your pizza slice, your go-to, or were you just wherever I am, I'm uh, everything's fine or whatever. Hey, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, the way, the way it was in the beginning of Fiberro, Steve Rodriguez's house was on sixth Avenue and bleaker right by the, uh, the spot called the bird ship banks. And there was a little park right there next to it that had the original raised pizza and then there was bagels on the square. So it was like, if it's the morning, you're getting a bagel from bagels on the square. And then you'd skate all day and then you'd get, you get, or not Ray, Joe's pizza. Joe's. Is, yeah. Joe's. And it's, uh, yeah, that was, those were our spots because no matter what we would start our day and end our day. Like he, Steve would, his place was probably like, 12 foot by 18 foot like his his apartment was so small that he had a murphy bed and he would have like six or eight of us every weekend just sleeping in his sleeping in a spot which is gnarly because that dude is such a neat freak like you take your shoes off before you come in the in the place he vacuums his white carpet like damn the fact that he had all these dirt bags sleeping on his floor (laughs) all the time i don't know how he did it Pizza wheels greased. When, when when did you meet P-Stone? It was definitely one of my f- first trips to California with Buddy. We went down like we went down to San Diego, and I stayed with P-Stone and Rhino. Okay, at a- Andy Max House at that one or a different one? No, they lived in. Uh, I think where was it? Ob. They had the apartment. The apartment. E- yeah. Okay, that was a little after. Huh. Yeah. But yeah. P-Stone was pretty stoked when he found out I was from the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> You ever heard of Yingling? It's the oldest brewery in the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him, him and Charno, like 
we just all had this bond that we were all from like 25 minutes away from each other. Ah, because Charno, Charno's from Nazareth, which is right by, right by there too. Oh shit! I think it was and, Nazareth. And you guys never met each other till you were out west. No, no. Well, Charno, I met. He was living in the city, and him and Buddy were doing like it was after Fruit of the Vine, but that's around the time that I met them. Oh, okay. So, and Rick and Buddy, we did a trip down to Atlanta just the three of us. And then when I did that, they were like, Hey, next time we go to go out to San Diego, you got to come with us. So I went out there, spent a little time with, uh, P stone and, and Rhino. Who do we blame for, uh, for the drinking? Do we blame Jägermeister whiskey beer? Like, who, what was the one that like you were like, I need more of this? Like, what was your go to for drinks? Um, it depends on the day. It was, yeah, a lot. A lot of if it, if it was celebrating, it was Jaeger and beer, uh, Jaeger and, and Yingling. And if it was uh, just a casual night, it would probably be half a bottle of Jameson, Jameson, fuck. Jameson gingers. Dude, how long were you in the city when, like, I'm when we got, we we started getting close and like it felt like you were here for a while, right? And or would you just come and go? I would just come and go. I would I would spend winters out there. That was the uh, when Jay and Claire Dog had that uh yeah that house that was that offset over by Mission Park. Yep. They uh they were awesome enough to just be like come out and spend the winter. So I did that a couple years in a row. Dude. Do you remember the, uh, enjoy premiere? Not much. It was, it was the gnarliest night of my life. Like I, me, you and Sally went there and we were just shit hammered and you and Sally went one way and I went a different way. And somehow I'm like in San Jose lost, no idea where I am. And some dude pulls a gun on me. And he's like, he's like, where are you from? And I, I'm just super drunk. I'm like, dude, I'm from Rose City. Like, and that was like the worst thing I could have said, like, because they got heat, San Jose and Rose City, I guess. And I was just like, dude, I'm just fucking around. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, whatever. And then some dude was walking at us and he's like, this dude's going to determine like, like, he's like, should I let him go or not? Basically, that's all I remember was something like that. And like, I just remember coming back and like you and Sally were like, where were you? And I was like, dude, some guys, I, ah, that was insane. I remember like, it's like those type of moments where it's like, all of a sudden you're just like sober. You're just like, you're so scared. Like you're like, fuck. But that was, dude, that premiere was for some reason, it just turned, it just sticks out as like one of the craziest nights of my life. Like me and Sally always talk about like, the enjoy premiere was the best. Like, oh man. <laughs> I remember meeting Dave Ashley that night and him just uh, being like, dude, you're one of my favorite skaters, like this or that. Uh, and then he's like, here, look. And he pulled his shirt down and he had the blue collar tattoo that I have. And I was just like, this is crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> you live on the totally opposite coast, but that's awesome. <laughs> you just influenced somebody. And then we obviously became super tight after that. But uh, yeah, but that was the first time I, I remember that just being like, whoa, that's that's heavy. 
dude, so fucking crazy. I don't know. Do you look back at them as as how do you look back at them? Do you look back at them as no regrets? It was what it was. Or do you look back at them as like, I don't like to even go there. Or like, how do you look at that? I am fine with how it is. My biggest thing is I'm going to have some explaining to do when the girls are old enough to Google. Yeah. What my life was like, like just being like, oh, yeah, that was my pro party. I was I don't remember it. And uh-huh. there's a girl punching me in the face. Uh-huh. But it's part of who I was. And now I'm not that guy. Like, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard thing to, like, wrap my head around. <laughs> you mean no comprende. <laughs> Yeah, and with the internet growing and everything, it's just like it's it's gnarly, right? Like you're just like, dude, what's out there? I don't even know all that's out there, but like somebody might find something and I might have some explaining to do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the good thing is at least back then people had Canon elves that they'd have to download everything on their computer. It's not like they they could live stream it, luckily, you know. Totally. How different our life would be if people had cell phone cameras back when we uh, we were partying. It was fun if you kept it in your circle because we were all bros. But like somebody outside the circle is not going to understand what the hell we were doing laying on the floor at three in the morning. I really like tacos. (laughs) No. So you when you went pro the party, you don't remember any of it? No, we uh, the thing I remember first about the party was before that I was so nervous about it because when I went pro, it's not like, Hey, we're turning you pro. Like, well, it was like that for them. But I remember like, I was really self-conscious about it because I didn't feel like I was ready. Mm. And I remember having conversations with like Steve R and Susky and stuff and being like, I'd rather be a respected am than a joke of a pro. Like that was, that was where I was at. So when it came time to my pro party, I was so nervous and like overwhelmed that I got so hammered before I even showed up Uh, that we showed up late and Ferris like grabbed me by the shirt. He's like, are you fucking this weight? Like he was pissed when like everybody parties, but he was like, this is your day. This is special for you. And this is how you're fucking showing up. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. Like, ah. yeah, that, that whole night was a blur. Like I had like bits and pieces of it. Like I remember jumping off this wall and nobody catching me. I remember jumping out of a six foot PBR can. And I remember somebody <laughs> spitting spitting Jack Daniels in my eye and having to go in the bathroom and wash it out. That's about as far as I got from, uh, from my pro party. What was, the, what was the graphic? Was it your name in block letters or no, it was, uh, you know, the flying guy from, uh, what is it? Whole, not whole foods, Trader Joe's Trader Joe's. There's like the old school picture of the guy with the helicopter on his back. Probably can't see it, but there's, Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, it was well before that. But this is like, it was before Trader Joe's used it on their bags. But Nardelli found that graphic and did that. And it said, go for broke. And then it was like him flying over to New York. That was my first board. Well, is Nardelli kind of the jack of all trades? He could, he could do the art. He could do everything or what? Yeah, he, he was definitely, now he's doing everything. 
He is. Like, yeah. Like, does he edit video and layout stuff and like conceptualize? He, he, does, he does. He does a like laying out, but like for editing and stuff, we had Tombo doing it for a few years, and then uh, uh, Jay yeah. Maldonado did one of the earlier videos, and Chris Roy did one, and Seamus did one. What's a special Nardelli moment you got for us? So many. I remember I broke my hand and needed surgery, and it was right around the time that we were wrapping up one of our videos, and I was super depressed, and I was freaking out about the medical bills and everything, and he was just like, dude, I got you, and this was when he was working for Zoomies, and he just like, he paid, he pretty much gave me a couple grand to like survive off of and pay my medical bills. Damn. And then my parents were just talking about it the other day. The first time they ever met Nardelli was when I shattered my leg. He was going to college across the street and he would come visit me in the hospital every day. And I was there for like nine or 10 days. That's a fucking solid dude. He is, man. Fuck. Yeah. I put a little thing out on the Instagram and some, a couple of people actually asked for you to tell some Danny Falla story. They want to know what it was like skating with Danny Falla back then. He's, he's a good dude, man. I, I love Falla. Actually, we loved going to Peru so much that we ended, ended up going back there like two or three times. Really? Cause that's, that's where he's from. Oh yeah. Lima. And, yeah. So we, we went there a few times and every time he's like kind of like a rock star down there. Like, Oh, he is. Yeah. And it's like, there was this dude, Miguel who had this like crazy pool. He's like this older dude that like hung out with like all these young artists and skaters and stuff. Like, I think Strubing went to his place, right? Yeah. We took Strubing, Sabak, Brian Brown, man cub. We took a bunch of people down there for the last trip. And there was like models hanging out or something, right? With that dude. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Strubin came back and he was just like, dude, it was beyond epic. <laughs> yeah. He got, he got sponsored by some, uh, some like Peruvian Red Bull company or something that actually <laughs> had like cocoa leaves in it. Of course. <laughs> it's like, so oh crazy. my God. Was that like, what's, what's one of your best trips? Cause I was thinking about the Costa Rica trip where you guys went down and, and the monkey and all that weirdness, like seemed yeah, like, it stuck out. yeah. What was up with that? That was a monkey that drank beer and then it would like <laughs> jerk off or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. We, we, that trip was, that trip was awesome. And it was so random. Like it was a Childress random was crew. Just, yeah. It was like children was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to Costa Rica. You guys got to come. And it was Drahobal. Cancer fucking Dan. Toad, me, Chet, Hammocky, and then some dude that was filming in 16 millimeter <laughs> film, but like no audio or anything, no silver. Like, and it's not even like we had mid, like, yeah. camera phone. Like, it was just like, we're going on this photo mission. And dude weird trip like we got you got an you you got an article out of it yeah that was actually you had that ollie the the bump snap the gap thing yeah that was probably one of my favorite photos i ever had in the mag oh really yeah 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 i remember like every time i because uh hammock you got married in costa rica too 
So he he had that. like the connection with the that monkey situation, and he's like, Schmitty, if you ever go down there, I got you with the monkey. You got to meet the monkey." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that monkey was crazy. They just had like it was it was like a hundred and fifty foot rope, post to post, uh-huh. with like a couple trees next to it, and it would just run back and forth on this tether, <laughs> just like. If you're drinking a beer, I'll come up and take the beer from you. That yeah, if you're not looking, I'll jerk off like right next to you. <laughs> but it wasn't, was it in Hollywood or no? Was it was the monkey in like commercials and movies or no? That I don't know. I, okay, it wasn't like the Clint know, Eastwood it was just one. At some random, random just, dude's house that they're like, hey, go go check out this monkey over at so-and-so's house. Right. <laughs> So w- w- was Central America, what was the best place skateboarding took you? Like, where was the best place you went because it was a skateboarding trip? That's a tough one. I, I always loved, I always loved Peru. We always did two countries at a time. So it was like the one year we did Colombia and Peru. Mm. The other one. Like Ecuador or Brazil or something? Ecuador. Ecuador. I think. Did you go to Machu Picchu? We went to Peru twice and we didn't get to Machu Picchu because Everybody on Fiverr was such skate rats, uh, except for kind of me. I was just kind of a pile. <laughs> I was just like, you guys, how can we be this close and not go? So the last time I was like, listen, you guys can come if you want, but I'm bringing my friends that I know want to go to Machu Picchu. So we took, we took Joe Brook, um, Brian Brown. Oh, sick. Do you know, do you know Man Cub or Mike Mike from New York? Well, he's I, not from New York, but. I've heard the names. I don't think I know him. Um, he was kind of like a Dobbin blocker, but he's super rad. But yeah, so it was like Jack Sabak, Jeff Ricker went, and then it was just a couple like, and then a couple more five borough guys came and were just like, dude, this is the trip. If we can't come to Peru again, because I'll probably never get back here. So we're doing it. Fuck. So, but yeah, we got there and it was awesome, man. That rules. What what explain the Dobbin block? I never I wasn't there for that. What it was just like a art community basically and just all skaters. It was a building that used to like it was a commercial building that they built lofts in. So it was like one hallway, and then there were rows of just I think 18 by 60 foot open spaces with like 20 foot ceilings. Uh-huh. And we had probably six different root like buildings that we had four or five people living in. And it was like Dave Cato and Jerry Mraz, Pat uh-huh. Smith, Barnes, like that's not where Becker lived, was it? No, no, no. Becker lived, I think he lived over by Dumbo where he had that mini ramp. But yeah, Dobbin Block, it was pretty rad. Alan Ying actually had an article in Slap about it. Julio lived there for a while. Shout out. What was the climax of like the party like the best time to be in new york when it was like i don't know i just think of jason dill at max fish era like in spanky and jerry and and epically later starting and all that like was that kind of like when it was just like fucking we are doing it or or what or was it better before or after or what there were different eras like before that i don't know if you ever remember seeing it but on uh in in Williamsburg, there was a spot that had like a DIY volcano that Dill had like an Ollie photo on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, With, like right down the, the city behind. from there, there was a bar called Sweetwater Tavern. 
and it was a total crust punk bar. And like every Monday night, the, this bartender, Jake, would have skate videos on. And it was just that was Rick and Buddy would be down every night. Like that, that was a good era. And then after that was was the Max Fish. But then if you talk to some of the older New Yorkers, they'll, t- they'll talk about Spoon, which was like two years before I moved to the city. But that's where Mark Razzo and I think Tino bartended there before uh, Max Fish got going. Yeah. And it's like I would hear about Spoon and just be like, damn, too young to get in. Uh, not that they probably ID, but it was just a different crew, but. There's this documentary. I haven't seen it yet. I, I can't find it, but uh, I think Farmer, somebody told me about it where it's uh, either eighth or ninth or something before it blew up. And it was like, it was like this whole other thing. And it was like super sick where like lots of like the struggling bands kind of got their start and stuff. And I don't know. I want to check it out. I think it's maybe called Eighth Street or, or Avenue. I wonder or if it's about C Squat. I'm not sure because that was on that, that was on I think that was Alphabet City I think on Eighth Street so okay but they, they used to have like shows and I had that photo and Thrasher doing like a rock fakie on this weird brick wall that was all graffitied up and stuff uh huh that was C Squat where it was like just total DIY crust punk squatter house and after years of living there they like made it into like nice apartments, but the squatters still have like rights to live there and stuff. Oh, damn. But okay. yeah, maybe that's it. What was the, what was some of the, um, celebrity sightings you would see like at Max or anywhere in New York? I think Strubing partied with David Spade one night. That's, that's, that's up there. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or no, he met MacGyver. I think he met MacGyver somehow. Um, Pacey from Dawson's Creek, uh, Joshua Jackson or whatever his name is. Yeah, at well, Max Fish. Pacey was at Max Fish, and me and Barnes were so hammered <laughs> that we <laughs> he ended up arm wrestling him. <laughs> no. <laughs> And somehow I ended up with no shirt on, like just partying with these dudes. But yeah. that was, uh, and Barnes convinced him, like he gave Barnes his keys to his hotel room. He's like, meet me back there. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to this party. We bring these girls back over there. We're, we're going to go, we're going to get wild. I love you guys. <laughs> and we're, he walked off and he goes, do we loot it? Like, we're just, <laughs> Like we just ended up not doing it, but just I just remember being blackout drunk, seeing Pacey, and then just being like, "Why am I not? Why do I have no shirt on? Why is Barnes arm wrestling <laughs> Dawson's Creek?" He he beats him, and he's like, "Dawson's weak, bitch." <laughs> yes, holy shit, that's amazing. Well, that was a, that was a good a good uh, celebrity sighting. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, the dude, what's the, the Hawaiian guy, uh, Sean Kelling. I remember my first time at Max Fish, he, he just bought like three Jaeger shots. And I was like, wait, there's only two of us. He's like, your first time here. I was like, what? <laughs> that sounds about right. Dude. Oh, my friend. Dude, so stoked. Yeah, I've been drinking like six years. 
That's awesome, man. A lot of weird shit when the wedding came, like Cranny and a bunch of dudes are like, are you going to just have at least a glass with us? And I was like, is it like, is it matter? Like, did I blow it if I didn't have a glass of wine at my wedding? You know, like all these thoughts. And then I was just like, you know what, dude, I think right now the path I'm on, I just kind of like feel like I might be like moral hangover, even with like a, a glass like that. I just... It's not really all about like how how long I haven't drank, but it kind of is nice to just say like no asterisks. Like, well, one night I had a few drinks and but it's been, you know, it's like, I don't yeah. know. So but yeah, it's been interesting. It's crazy. I was thinking about because um, uh, like a lot of people are, you know, are getting sober. And I was like, OK, there's a lot of reasons probably. But one of the main reasons could be social media, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, dude, because sometimes like the shit that you do after the blackout, if it's getting recorded or live feed, like it doesn't take long to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar La Vista, baby. The anxiety when I hit 40, I started getting so much anxiety on hangovers that I was just like, I can't. This is not worth it anymore. I don't like to preach to anybody or nothing, but I always am interested in other people's journeys that have, you know, you you were sober before I was and uh, all the, you know, Freddie's killing it right now. I was like, dude, you're fuck. That's a mate. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really rank who was the biggest pile. I don't like doing that. <laughs> but there was but there was like, you know, there's been some friends that have been like up in the top three. Like yeah. and, and and to see those guys like pull it, it's just inspirational, I think, for somebody who's like, you don't understand. It's so hard. Like, I was like, dude, I understand. And I've seen the gnarliest people go through it and it's like i don't know it's pretty cool to see freddie like an andy roy and just these dudes that you're just like no fucking way yeah they're doing yeah. it i'm not claiming so i don't know i always like to clap my hand for these people that yourself too you were in like some dark spots and you pulled it and it's like so sick i don't know my friends always say the one thing like they always i it comes to my head is like i wish people told me when i started doing drugs that you don't have to take and eat the mushrooms. You could just have a, like a little mushroom and like, <laughs> instead of just going full throttle. And it was like, that was the mentality. Once you go full throttle, it's just like, bzz. yeah, no, absolutely. It was, uh, yeah, I had an on switch and an off switch. There was no dimmer switch, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was brutal. It was, um, when Andy passed away, that's like, I was, I was messed. Like I remember being on a trip right before that. I was actually in St. Louis when I found out about Andy and I was completely blacked out the whole trip, like on mushroom, like just, and then found out about Andy and it just put me into a dark spot. And then I met my wife, I met Allie at Andy's funeral or actually at the Brooklyn Bowl. And like I met her. And then two days later, after his funeral, I ended up in Tampa for one of the uh, trade shows that they had down there Whoa. one of the years. And oh. I just remember, like, I called her 
and was just like, listen, I'm in a dark place. I have a handful of pills. I don't know what they are. Like, I'm just going to take them because I, I don't know what I'm doing and nothing feels right. And she just talked me. She's just like, I'm not telling you what to do, but you don't need to do that. And I ended up throwing a handful of pills into a drain in Ebor. And I could, next time we're there, I'll show you because I remember exactly which gutter it was. No way. And I pretty much went home, like went back to the hotel, had a couple drinks the following morning. And once I got on the plane, that was the last time I had a drink. No way. Yeah. Wow. That's it was just, I was at the point where Did- I knew that if I would keep partying, I would be the next one of our friends to pass. Yeah. And people didn't know. Like, I just was talking to my parents recently about like where I was at mentally. And I was like, I was so depressed, but I didn't know why. And I couldn't tell anybody because they'd see me out and they'll just be like, what do you mean you're, you've been depressed? Like you've been partying and laughing. Yeah. And I was like, no, nobody's there except for Teresa when the bar closes and I'm in the back in the kitchen crying at Enid's, like just uh-huh. a complete train wreck. Like I was a mess. And I just came to the realization recently that it wasn't depression. It was fear that I had no control. Like mm. I tried quitting drinking and I couldn't. And the last couple of years, I thought it was depression, but it was fear that I was going to be the next person to die. Like that, And it took me 10 years of sobriety to, or like nine and a half years to actually come to that realization. But it, it was harsh, man. It, it was, it took losing many people for me to realize that, I was probably going to be the next one if I didn't quit partying the way I was. Yeah, it did. The last few years have been like before the COVID, it was just like people just dying. Like it was almost so many that you're like, am I getting jaded to this? This is insane how many people were dying. But did you have to go through a detox at all? Did you have to like lock yourself into a room or anything and get sick when you stopped? Like you just stopped cold turkey? I stopped cold turkey. And it was, I wasn't doing a lot of, like, I was doing Coke and pills, like, if they were available, but it wasn't like a nightly thing. Mm. But with the alcohol, it's like, I would drink all day long, just beer, Bloody Mary, like, just whatever throughout the day. Mm. And then an average day, I was probably drinking 12 to 20 beers and drinking probably half a bottle of whiskey a night. Like it's hard to to tell because all of our friends are bartenders, but every single day for eight years, we were blacking out every day, except for when you try to get sober and last about three days and then you're back on it. Right. But no, when I quit, it was, I remember talking to you around the beginning and just being like, dude, it's so crazy. I traded in pints of Guinness for pints of ice cream. Yeah. I just had the sugar. Like I would always have like M&Ms or like, some kind of sugar with me. I the same thing. I, I was, I always think about you cause I'll be like, fuck, I want Ben and Jerry's right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Trading in pints for pints. That's such a good one. I always use that uh, when I talk to people about that. And people are like, that's such a good one. So when you got through it where you're just like, because in the beginning, I'm sure like we all have the uncomfortableness of like, how do we be social now? It's like what I learned was all I need is to have something in my hand. Like, yeah, I just needed this. And it didn't have to have alcohol in it. I I realized all I needed to do is get seltzer water. And I, I was holding something and now I'm and at the party. Yeah. Yeah. It was so weird. But once you get to that point where you're kind of a little more comfortable and you're social, are you starting to notice things focus wise? Like, are you skating more? Or are you like getting into like, fam- like, like you got the house, everything's going like, did things start building in a way that you're like, dude, I'm, I'm on the right road. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was like, I was still living in the city, like within a year and a half, I was speaking of sweets. My daughter just brought me a pack of (laughs) It never ends. Yeah. And then it was like, we bought the house in Emmaus and it was, everybody's like, oh, new house, new baby. And then I was like, nah, whatever. But within within a couple months we were pregnant with Kessler Uh. and then it was like, and then it was just work and family and just make sure you have enough money to pay your bills and skating here or there. But it wasn't like just skate, like fully focused on skating anymore. It was just making sure that they were good. You know what Uh I mean? What what are you thinking about nowadays? Like looking at skateboarding, like, from from where your perspective, like, do you see how it's changed? Do you see like some different things in it, or are you not paying as much attention to it now, or, or what? No, I like I'm, the only time I really pay attention is like if I'm scrolling on Instagram and see stuff. Like, yeah. I don't have subscriptions or anything anymore. I'm just I'll cruise around when I can, but I've been doing it a lot more lately. Like. This weekend, I'm supposed to go meet up with Freddie out in Jersey and Paul and everybody. So, hell yeah. Yeah, he looks like he's got a good little zone going. I know, man. He's been killing it. I'm I'm so stoked for him. Uh huh. And BA's out there a lot too, I guess, huh? Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah, get out there and rip that fucking DIY spot. Yeah, it looks like you've been skating more. Yeah. Yeah. I've been out a handful of times and, I'm stoked because they're uh, the park's only five minutes from where I work. So I've been cruising around a bit more now. So how's the body? It's actually pretty, pretty beat up, man. Yeah. <laughs> lie. Like I actually went to the doctor today to, uh, cause I have a five inch and an eight inch plate in my leg with like oh. 20 screws from that thrasher video. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, I actually went in today to see about possibly getting the plates out if that'll eliminate some of the uh, discomfort. But you get like arthritis or anything? Yeah, it's arthritis, and then just uh, the way that the the muscle grew back, it's kind of rubbing against some of the screws. Right. So it's like I can't run more than like sixty feet without like my leg feeling weird. And and before it was like I never got them out or worried about it because I was skating. And then the kids were too young that I couldn't get them taken out because the kids will jump on me. So (laughs) now it's like they're seven and nine. So I think if I need 
if I need a week or two to recoup, they'll actually respect it. They can cut you some slack. But how about you? How are you feeling? Not so great. Like I get like in my shoulders and necks, I think just from being at the keyboards a lot. But uh, yeah, you were carrying around that camera bag all those years, too. I think that, too. I don't know. Preston used to always tell me like because you I would have it on one shoulder and you'd be like, I know you don't want to, but put it on both shoulders, put it on both shoulders, make it even. And then he'd be like, do this one. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I miss that dude. Ah, Dude, I miss so many people. It sucks. Like I I was when the, I don't know if it happened for you, but for me, the wedding really brought a microscope out on like where I am with everyone in my life right now. And there was a lot of sadness that came with a lot of the joy. You know, there's tons of joy, but like, dude, Hamaki was invited to my wedding and then he passed like, like a month. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty close, but like, you know, Jake Preston Hubbard and Hamaki, like there was a lot of dudes within like three, it was just like, like waters, like all these, it was like insane where I was just like, and then just like how everybody's past kind of, even that are alive go diff, you know, everyone's got kids or done this or moved over here. And it's just like, we get older and we're not at the same place anymore, but you want like, you want to just like go and like check into the hotel. That's like, remember 2007, we're all going to live in 2007 just tonight. And just like for five minutes, like, yeah, just let's have that vibe again. <laughs> just like, and it's just so hard to get and you can't get it. And I'm like, fuck and it's nothing to say that like i don't appreciate and love where i am now and all the people and everything that's going on but you know you just naturally miss certain things and you're just like fuck that was oh we gotta or something like you just like i'll text your hobo and be like how much would it cost for you to take a jaeger shot (laughs) he's like fuck you I don't know. We got to figure out. It would be sick. I was talking to like some of the old people and just being like, if we could almost have like a, a, a party for nothing, like basically just like a, let's, let's plan a day that everybody could get together and like meet in San Francisco or New York or Philly somewhere. And just like try to get, you know, get Ginch and all these different people together and, I don't know. Just kind of have almost like a high school reunion of like not high school, you know, or something like that. I don't even know. You know, like a, a 30 year reunion. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, hey, how boring are you now? What Netflix show are you into? <laughs> you better leave this shit in. Don't be telling this is negative or not. This is life. Yeah, it's like fuck. I don't know. There's a lot of fucking stuff though. What was the gnarliest thing or like the craziest thing that you've ever been at live for to see on a skateboard? Like somebody did and you were there for? Probably the Route 66 trip with uh Duffel. When Duffel jumped off that top turnbuckle into that bank. That looked gnarly. You were there. Yeah, yeah. I made it back just in time because me and Adams and I think Chet went to the Applebee's or something, did a couple, did a couple shots Uh and then made it back because they were, it took them so long to like shuffle out the land, shovel out the landing. They were like, all right, you guys get to work. We're going to go to the bar. And then we came back and we saw like fail the first one. And then the second one, he got the shoulder check and it was just like, 
Good thing we got this young kid on this trip because we're a bunch of piles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was such a random. It felt so weird. Like it was like, what's Corey doing with all those guys? It was like you, Chet, Jason Adams. Maybe was it Rick and Buddy? Mumford? Oh, Mumford. That and was my first time man. hanging out with that dude. That was a trip. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that was really random. Uh yeah, I remember when when Buddy told me that that duffel was going. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Yeah, man, the Cadillac, Route 66 trip. So <laughs> they rented one Cadillac and then we took the we took the Indy van. Oh. Turns out we ended up getting pulled over right outside of Muskogee. And we were listening to we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee, you know? But oh. so we were we were drinking, we were fucking super stoned, and we were eating chocolates that we got down the street, like at the skate park. So we're eating these mushrooms and we get pulled over like right when they start to kick in. And <laughs> Freaking, I just remember all of us standing outside the van because we had all these open containers and stuff. And they're just like, well, somebody's going to jail. They're, they're searching the van for weed and stuff. And they found some and then license and registration. And for some reason, they had the wrong registration in the van. Oh. Like, I guess they had two 15 passengers that looked exactly the same and the wrong registration was in. And we're like, dude, we're going to jail. We're just standing there and the stadies pull up next to the local and they're like, they get into it. They're yelling at each other because whose jurisdiction, who pulled who over and all this stuff. And I think it was Guzman that was just like, excuse me, officer, I really got to take a leak. <laughs> and we're all like, shut up, dude. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then all the way down the line, like all of us were just like, yeah, kind of, we got to do too, man. Like, <laughs> And he's like, make it quick. And we're just, we all walk off the highway, like 60 feet. We're like right by the bushes. Well, shit, man, do, do we run? We're like, no, man, nobody runs. Like, look where we are. <laughs> like, but I just remember like somebody saying they had to piss and the cop just getting so pissed. We're like, oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that trip was, uh, that was great. That was a good one, huh? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I seen Danny Way jump off the guitar at the um at the Hard Rock Cafe. That's that was, heavy. That was pretty crazy. But dude, I seen I was there when E-Man did kind of the same thing that Duffel did, and then he just laid it out going Mach 5 into a curb. And his from his knee to like here was just all black and blue. It was like the first or second day of a 10 day trip and oh. he, he was done the whole trip. And then we got on the airplane. It was me, him and Peastone on the way back. And somehow those fucking guys, Jedi mind trick, the waitress to just give us like as much, like all those airplane uh, liquors. And she, he was like, dude, he's in a lot of pain and he doesn't have Vicodin or nothing. Like he just needs more whiskey, like, or whatever. And dude, I got photos. There's just like, we're all holding like so many bottles. <laughs> we're just like, That's awesome. Yeah. It was a crazy one. Yeah. That was, that was sick though. E-Man fucking, he went he's, for, 
He's the best, dude. He's so good, huh? Yeah. I, I, I need to fucking... I haven't seen Eman in a while. He got married, too, and had a kid. A lot of people have fucking... But he's still holding it down. He's ripping and shit. Yeah. Yeah. What else is anything else going on out there? What are you doing? Are you are you doing? What are you doing for job? Are you doing deliveries? No, I actually work for a like a car wheel repair company. That's the shit that we live for. It's like a mobile like it's a box truck that goes around to car dealerships and fixes bent and scratched up wheels and stuff. And you do the labor. I was doing it for a couple years, and now I'm the manager. Oh, so I have. I have three mobile trucks and three vans that drive around and pick pick wheels up at different spots and drop them off and stuff. Is it is it cool? Is it not too stressful? No, it's cool. It's uh, dude, it's kind of rad. One of the kids that I grew up skating with has been doing it for like a long time, and he's like, "I can get you a job, but it's down in Delaware." And he was working at the Jersey branch. Uh, I was commuting like two hours each way for a couple of years. And then it was like, all right, we got to relocate. I got no family life. Like I get home at, like I leave before the kids wake up, I get home in time for dinner and shower. And then I don't get to see them until the weekend. Uh-huh. And we bought a house down closer to work. I'm like 25 minutes away, but still in PA. Okay. But the job itself is, it's cool, man. I, I enjoy it. And it still keeps me, keeps me in shape. And, yeah, there's a pretty, pretty rad. Actually, Jay Sigafoos is one of the one of the guys in New Jersey at the other branch. Oh, shit. And yeah. So uh, like coincidentally or no, the same guy that got me the job got Sigafoos the job. And we're just okay. like, fuck, and we could uh, we could have a pretty good skate sesh if uh, we ever link up. Yeah. So, huh. How far is that one from you? About two hours, probably. Two hours. Yeah. Nice. Well, dude, I, I want to get back there. Definitely. You guys got to meet my wife. Enjoy the show. And we just got to kick it for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. Things are going good, though. It's just crazy times, like with the obvious stuff, like the COVID and the politics have been really. I mean, I feel like you're killing it just being like the big cities seem like the worst for that stuff. Like, being out in the country is probably like you're away from it and it's like a little yeah. mellower. No, we, we definitely tried to normalize it as much. Like in the beginning, like we just, we wouldn't go to the stores. Like our kids had no clue that it was even going on for the first couple months. We just, oh. we, we got a, like, we got like a four foot by like 20 foot, like snap together pool. Yep. We we got a zip line for the kids. They live no at, we have a cul-de-sac that they can ride their bikes at. Like uh, we just tried to make make the yard and this area as fun as possible. Go hiking. Like we have some trails near us and stuff. So it was like rad. try to just keep their their minds as normal as possible until it was time to go back to school with masks and shields and stuff you know you know every time i try to get out they pull me back in it's in the uh yep i just hate how divisive everything is like how it's like like the shitty shit that's happening is obviously shitty but what it's doing to like friends and family is what's been really gnarly to watch and to hear about and to see like 
you know, just like, oh, I don't like this game or, oh, really? Whoa, okay. Damn. No, and it's so <laughs> stupid because it could have all been avoided if it wasn't politicized in the beginning. Yeah. If- but then now it feels like everything is politicized, like every fucking thing. And you're like, dude, his health. Like, you know, like, what about when they told you to uh, put a helmet on when you ride a motorcycle? Sucks for people that like to ride motorcycles without helmets, but everyone just started wearing helmets because they were like, it's the law. Yeah. Riding a motorcycle with a, without a helmet is not going to kill other people, but this yeah. Like, yeah. Exa- yeah. I mean, I, there's, there was this, this like 48-year-old guy that works at one of the car dealerships Fit as hell, like he was a boxer, never smoked, never drank, no pre-existing things. He was one of those, like the guys that says January 6th was Black Lives Matter, and Antifa, like all that. Like he was talking to me about that stuff. And I was like, all right, I thought like, I'll just, I just won't talk politics with this dude again. I didn't see him for like months and then I found out from this other dude that he was in a coma. He got COVID with no pre-existing things. I just found out three days ago that he was in a coma for four months. He got out two weeks ago and he's still on a ventilator and he lost like 80 pounds and oh, he lost movement in his right arm. So he's not going to be able to work again, but his kids didn't lose a father and like, but and it could have all been avoided if they didn't make it a political statement to wear a mask. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah, it's a it, it's it's really sad. Like the whole thing is just sad. You're just like fucking. Oh, my daddy is like, dude, I'm 75 years old. I've lived 75 years. I've never seen anything even close to as crazy as shit is right now. What have you been doing? Like, obviously you got the family and stuff. Is there anything you've been doing like mentally to just, if, if things start to weigh on you in some weird ways to like, try to like see the optimistic side or to just stay positive and that shit. No, I just, I just try to stay as even keel as possible and focus on, keeping the kids and family happy and healthy, you know, Uh when the stuff comes, that's unavoidable, like people passing and stuff that like Alana was a hard one, man. Oh yeah. Fuck. I know that was brutal. And it happened. I found out and I was snowed in at my house. I wasn't working that day. And I just walked in the woods and went down to a Creek like, and just stared into nothing for hours because normally to deal with shit like that, it would be grab a bottle of Jameson and self-destruct. And it was just like, Nope, you just need to be alone right now. And that's what I mean. Like there's been so many that I just, I'm just like, like we're not supposed to have that many people die at this age. We're too young to have that many people like in this, it's crazy. I, I know, but you got to think about it like this is most people our age don't know as many people that we do because of how much we traveled and how many people come into the cities. So the average might be about the same. And just think how many awesome people we have in our lives. Like we're yeah. so blessed to have met 
and known all these awesome people that were losing. Right. A lot of people are from small towns that don't get like, they know the 250 people they went to school with and that's all, you know what I mean? Mm. Like we're blessed to, to know and have known. That's the continual message. Every, like every funeral or any gathering where you're just grieving with your friends or whatever, it's, that's the always the one I gravitate to is like, do just remember like all the fortunate, like you got to go to Paris with that dude. You got to fucking go camping like several, like you've, had a great chunk with a like you were fortunate so yeah it's just hard you know obviously it's hard in the moment to be like i know but i want more motherfucker (laughs) no dude it's real it exists it's gnarly god damn it are you into football are you gearing up for are you still into it or you you don't watch as much now that you're family no 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 i still watch it I still watch a ton of football eagles or or steelers it's weird it it was always steelers and then Living where I lived, the sports radio, it was just 100% Eagles. Like, mm. that's all the low, like, oh. and I just, and it was also like right when Carson Wentz was getting drafted and stuff. And I just, it, he's such, like, he was a good dude. And I just kind of just rooted for both of them since I'm Pennsylvania, you know? Uh-huh. So I'm cheating a little bit. Dude, I want to go to Pittsburgh super bad. I've never been. I like really want to go to see the the Pirate Stadium where the Pirates play and like just see that city. Like it's pretty sick. Like Cam Fouche and a bunch of dudes are always talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's one I haven't been to. Yeah, and it's kind of not easy to get to. Like you can't even go direct from SF to there. You know where I want to go? Have you ever been to St. Louis? Yeah. Have you been to that stadium? No, I, I, we, I've been to the stadium, but not inside. We skated this bank right by it, but, uh, I wasn't on a baseball, uh, tolerant trip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really want to take the kids to, uh, to the city museum there. Oh, sick. I remember going there with, uh, Randy Pulitzer and stuff and that place, like the kids would have a field day. St. Louis is a good city. Yeah. I liked it there our plan is to kind of try to go to one or two uh, stadiums. We haven't gone to each year. Like, okay. Citizens bank. Come to Philly, man. Again, I've been, I skated there. There's like ledges and a rail and a bunch of stuff right in there, but uh, we didn't, it wasn't a baseball tolerant trip either. I'm trying to lure you in, man. We got the rain. We got Baltimore right down the way from us. We went to Baltimore. I got Baltimore (laughs) and DC, but for some reason I couldn't get Philly. But I need Boston for sure, because that's like one of the oldest ones. So it'd be sick to go Pittsburgh, Philly, uh, Boston. And is Cleveland kind of by Pittsburgh? By Pittsburgh, yeah, it's probably a couple hours from there. Yeah, maybe I could fly into Cleveland and go Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philly, Boston, and then fly out from like over there somewhere. How close are you to Philly? 45 minutes. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's plan for Philly. 2022 Philly. (laughs) I'll I'll check when the Giants are going to be there. Love it, man. I'll I'll pencil and pencil. We always end it with a tune. If if you're going to fucking walk into the bar and, and there's the jukebox in there with every song available, which one's your go-to? I'd probably have to go Stones right now with 
with Charlie going. Yep. Charlie Watt just passing. So let's go some girls. Perfect. Dude, I fucking Guns N' Roses tributed their whole show last night to Charlie and they, they had this huge uh, thing of him in the background and then they just went into knocking on heaven's door and it was pretty heavy. Yeah, it was good. They're still they're still all right. Like I I understand everybody, you know. We all get older though. But yeah. Joey Terche told me a, a while ago, he's like, I don't judge people for being fat and I don't judge people for being bald, because he's like, We're all gonna get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, be careful. <laughs> it's self-appointed judges are the ones out there telling you all this. And then you look at them and they're like in their mom's basement doing nothing. You're like, and you're talking shit on me. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck dude. I love you. Um, it's really good to see you and hear you. And, uh, we got to fucking somehow get the, uh, roads to cross. Absolutely. Schmitty. I love you, buddy. Like I texted you that one day, I'm, uh, I'm terrible terrible long distance friend but uh but i love you i'm a terrible short distance friend (laughs) (laughs) thanks for spending the time and doing this stuff it's it's been really fun for me wow me too man well this is gonna be uh the rolling stones (laughs) peace out buddy love you love you too man take care of yourself you too man we'll be in touch yeah, for sure. Hit me up anytime, dude. And I get how the game works. Like, if you don't return my text, like the, within 24 hours, we're still friends, you know? Uh, yeah, I know. And I think it's vice versa. You know, we some there's this thing called life, and we all do the best we can. So, yeah, we could we could still blame uh, the time difference too, right? If we get past 1 30 a.m., look out. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. All right, Dan, take care of yourself. All right, brother. Take care. See you later. Some girls give money. Some girls buy the clothes. Some girls give jewelry. Then I never thought.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.